Today on the Inside BS Show, we've got another special look behind the scenes in my business development community. This is a community of like-minded professionals who meets twice a week, and we pass referrals. We share all the best practices in all of our businesses, but most importantly, I give you a roadmap to developing the business that will enable your lifestyle. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Inside BS Show. This is audience identification and targeting, and today we're talking about the lead generation methodologies that you will use to bring your new clients, your prospective clients to you. Uh, Once you develop these leads, what you're looking to do is you're looking to make them an offer of a honeypot. Those of you who've been with me for a while know that when you speak or when you network or publish or uh, even if you get a referral, you want to offer those people something that demonstrates your expertise and something that they can exchange their contact information for. So for example, if you're speaking from the front of the room or speaking on a webinar, you can say to folks, I have a very specific topic that I want to cover that's relevant to all of you. However, I can't cover it today because we only have 45 minutes. So I've prepared this free report. The free report is five things you need to know about X, Y, and Z. I'm happy to give it to you in exchange for your business card or in exchange for you sending me an email. That then gets you their contact information and you have permission to follow up with them. That's what a honeypot is, and that's how we convert people from suspects into prospects. We'll talk a little bit about that in just one second. There are also people who are in your natural network. These are people who know you, like you, and trust you, people with whom you already have a relationship. And these folks are people who you've connected with over the years. They don't need to be offered a honeypot necessarily because you already have their contact information, you have permission to communicate with them. Everyone who's received your honeypot then technically becomes part of your natural network because you wanna communicate with them on a regular basis. And that follow-up system, I've coined a term for that and that's the Rapport Max system. Uh, I did a very, um, I took some liberties with the spelling of Rapport and I added the word Max to it so that I could trademark it. If you want to know why I did that, Nancy Delane will be happy to um, share uh, any information you need about uh, creating trademarks that are unique. But this system is simply the email system that we've talked about at length where people end up giving you their contact information, you welcome them with an email at the beginning, and then you get permission to follow up with them, my preference on at least a weekly frequency basis, uh, so that you continue to educate them and continue to grow your relationship with them. Folks come off of this email system and they call you, and they call you for help in solving a problem. That's where I coined the term, the 60-second sale, for my most recent book. Really, if you have a relationship with someone and they call you and they say, I'm having this problem, and you ask them if they'd like some help with that, they're going to either say yes or ask you to tell them more. And that takes just about a minute, and that's why I called it the 60-second sale. That's the actual, quote-unquote, closing process. 
And then after the first matter is developed, we focus on relationship intimacy. Now, a lot of people are, are uncomfortable with the word intimacy in a business setting. I use that word because I want to convey specifically what we're looking to develop with our clients. We need to be able to anticipate our clients' needs. We need to be able to anticipate the challenges they're going to face. And we need to make recommendations to help them avoid risk, to help them limit the amount of pain they face in the future. Now, if we've developed a relationship properly, they will listen to us and that's intimacy. When we help them anticipate their problems, we help them correct future problems, we help them solve issues that are coming in the future. And that's our goal. And this is something that when I work with professionals, I think is the biggest takeaway from our work together. And that's that we're focusing on lifetime value. Now, just looking out over the, uh, the virtual audience here, most of you are in the business-to-business -business space. So when you connect with a client, you have the opportunity to work with that client for a long time. Those of you who are in the consumer-facing area, so if you're a family law attorney or if you're focused on uh, perhaps you're a criminal defense attorney or you're a CPA or other professional who works uh, with consumers and they may use your services once and perhaps not use your services for a longer period of time. When I talk about lifetime value, I'm talking about lifetime value not only of clients but also of referral sources and evangelists. So when you hear me talk about lifetime value as it relates to clients, you can also substitute in there evangelists or referral sources. Now, I want you to remember this. A business leader cannot evaluate business relationships as if they're social relationships. I work with clients all the time who tell me, Mr. Smith is a great client. And I say, all right, that's great. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what makes Mr. Smith a great client. He's a nice guy. Or he is compliant. I do his taxes every year. I help with his tax planning. And he gives me all the documents I need the first time I ask. You know, that's great if you're talking about a social relationship or even if you're talking about uh, a friendship. Those are, those are good ways to refer to relationships or friendships, but one of the biggest metrics we use for measuring the depth of a relationship with a client or with a referral source is lifetime value. How much money has that source, that client or that evangelist or that referral source, how much have they been responsible for in terms of either revenue or referral revenue directly to your business. I want you to think about that because most of us don't do a very good job measuring that. And if you don't take away anything else from our time together today, I want you to take away the fact that a business relationship can be measured based upon many intangible things that make us feel good, but in our world, metrics, hard numbers are extremely important.
And the most important number is the lifetime value of those relationships. Now, why is this important? Well, I do a whole detailed presentation and uh, it's set in the queue for about a month from now. I do a whole detailed presentation on lifetime value, but one of the really important reasons to measure lifetime value is because it helps you determine how much you can spend, how much you can invest to acquire a new client. And I'm going to use my business as an example and we can uh, talk about your businesses if you'd like at the end of the presentation and I can walk you through this calculation. But in my business, a good example is when I, when I acquire a new coaching client, like a, a private client for one-on-one -on -one coaching, what I've found is if that client does some of the work, they don't have to do all of the work, if they do some of the work, I will keep them in excess of three months. And my experiences over the last 12 years, clients who stay with me over three months tend to stay a minimum of four years or longer. You all know several of my clients who have been with me for almost the entire time I've had my consulting practice. In fact, uh, looking out, there's at least one of them on the, on the session with us today. And if I were to evaluate that relationship based on the lifetime value of that relationship, it would be extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And I am grateful, and I tell those people that I'm grateful for uh, their relationship with me all the time. That's how I know what I can invest in order to acquire a client. My goal is to break even on those client relationships from a, an acquisition standpoint by the end of the third month. But let's say it took me a year to break even on those client relationships. If the client stays with me for 12 months or longer, that is an incredibly valuable relationship because I'm able to realize that return on investment over the course of the 11 plus years, even if it takes me one year to break even. So that's a very long-winded way for me to describe the value of uh, measuring client lifetime value or referral source lifetime value. But there are three more reasons to look at this. I don't want to go into it now because it'll take me 45 minutes to explain it. And again, I have a whole presentation on it. But suffice it to say, we evaluate these relationships over the long term, not the short term. So our goal in looking at this here today is to create emotional engagement for clients and evangelists and evaluate the business relationships based upon lifetime value. We're looking at the long term. So in your universe, our universe, mine too, there are four types of people. Suspects, prospects, clients, and evangelists. Suspects are people who have passive interest. And by passive interest, I mean they come to an event and they'll sit in the room and listen to what you have to say, or they'll join you on a webinar and they'll listen to what you have to say. 
a suspect becomes a prospect when he shows active interest. In other words, he reaches out and he says, I'd like to hear more about what you have to say. A prospect becomes a client when they invest in you, when they invest their financial resources in you. And then an evangelist is someone who refers you. Now, I'm going to go through each of these, but I want to make a clear distinction between a client and an evangelist. A client who's invested money in you and then refers you, we still call that person a client. Why? Because they've experienced your services at some level. Evangelists are people who refer you regardless of whether they've invested in your services or not. All right, so suspects. Suspects have a passive interest. Now, clearly they have a problem you can solve. So these are people you suspect would be good clients for you. So for example, if you are focusing on getting referrals from CPAs, let's say, you look at CPAs and you're able to determine that there is a select group of CPAs who do high-end work. Let's say you're an estate planning attorney. There's a select group of CPAs who do high-end work and they would be good referral sources for you. So you've got a list of 30 CPAs in your area who do the kind of work that will, be, will lend itself well to your business, and you've determined that these are people who could refer you business. Now, they may be referring business to a competitor of yours right now. They may belong to a group of people that are just like them on a national basis. They may read a publication that uh, your ideal referral sources or your ideal clients read, and they have the same goals as your clients. If you want to talk about people who are ideal suspects from a client perspective, they clearly have a problem you can solve. So if you're an intellectual property attorney, they are people who have intellectual property that needs to be protected. They may be working with a different intellectual property attorney right now. So for example, if you do patent work, they may be working with an attorney who just handles trademarks and copyrights. And although you do that, the other attorney doesn't do patent work. They may belong to a group that your clients belong to. So they may, if they're engineers, let's say, who need help with patents, they may belong, they may belong to the uh, New York chapter of the International Society of Engineers. They may read Engineering Monthly magazine or visit Engineering Monthly's website. And they may have the same goals as your clients. These are people you suspect, and that's why we call them suspects, you suspect will be good clients for you. And that's how you target people to get in front of in the first place. You convert suspects to prospects when they ask for information about you or about something specific that you do. Another way to convert them is having them attend an event where you're featured as a speaker or read a publication where you have an article published. You invite these folks to have a conversation with you after you get their contact information or they're referred to you or they sought your assistance in some way. Maybe they went to the, the web and they did a web search and one of your articles came up and they called you as a result of one of your articles. The key thing is a prospect has raised his or her hand and said, I'm interested in hearing more about what you have to offer. A client is interested in you. They've exchanged money for the value you provide. Uh, obviously, 
they've had some sort of an experience with you. They've invested their trust as much as they've invested financially in you. Uh, the bottom line for me is, I know some of you do work for pro bono clients. My focus for our work is the exchange of money for the value you provide. That's the difference between a prospect and a client. Now, a note about some advanced client relationships. Clients who refer business are still classified as clients. I don't call them evangelists, I call them clients because they've experienced your services. Our focus, as I said, is on growing lifetime value. Now, the ways to grow lifetime value, just as, a, as an aside, are an increase in transaction value, increased frequency of purchase, or client referrals, referrals from the specific clients who've worked with you. We covered some of this in the presentation I did on numbers, but we're also going to talk about ways to deepen client lifetime value down the road. A client who doesn't try to refer you is not emotionally engaged. Now, you've heard me say a number of times that your clients should be willing to give you testimonials or they should be willing to refer you. Also, a testimonial or a letter of recommendation is, is something that uh, is, is indicative of emotional engagement. I understand that clients invest in your services and you provide them exactly what they expect and you feel like they're, you know, they're, they're happy and, and that should be the end of the relationship. I wanna reiterate that a client that doesn't refer you or that doesn't at least try to refer you or a client that doesn't, when asked, provide you with a testimonial or write a letter of recommendation for you, one of those things, at some point in your relationship, if they don't do that, you need to make sure that you're providing what that client is looking for from an experience perspective. If that's not, uh, if your experience isn't good enough, the client is not going to refer you, they're not going to write a testimonial for you. Now, I want you to make sure you invest in the people who've invested in you. What does this mean? If you require someone's services, and you have someone in your client database who provides that service, I ask that you try that person's services. So in other words, Carmen Hires uh, owns a translation company. She's a member of our community here. As soon as I need translation of anything, I'm going to call Carmen because I want to support her because she supported me. Now if I never need someone's services. So for example, Gilbert Paris, who is a member of our community, is a criminal defense attorney uh, in New York. Hopefully, I will not be caught committing crime in New York, right? <laughs> and I phrase that comically. <laughs> I'm not out committing crimes and not getting caught. I'm just not committing the crimes. So I'm not going to need Gilbert's services, but I will invest my time in helping Gilbert with, with finding people who may need his services. I'm gonna connect him to as many evangelists as I can in New York because I want him to be successful because he's invested in me. My point is, I, by the way, another example is if you have a bank that's your client, at least open a checking account with that bank or uh, deposit some money in a CD with that bank. 
The bottom line is invest in the people who've invested in you. If you can invest your money, you can invest time and effort in helping them be successful. That's a great way to demonstrate that the relationships have value. Evangelists, they convert people on your behalf. These are people who haven't sampled your services but are enthusiastically promoting you. They have a high level of trust in you. I put in there that they have an altruistic motivation. So in other words, these are people who refer you not for a referral fee that you're gonna pay them, but because they really believe in you. And they have a deep, unwavering faith, a belief in you and the services that you provide. Evangelist relationships can be directly targeted, so you can look for evangelist relationships, or you can target them through suspects. So in other words, you can go out and find groups of people who look just like your best referral source, and that would be people you suspect would be good evangelists, and you can put them in a room for an event or send them uh, articles, or you can target them directly by looking for a specific person, asking for a referral to that specific person. Some businesses will choose to target evangelists exclusively. My example was family law attorneys, uh, criminal defense attorneys, many real estate attorneys uh, in residential real estate choose to target evangelists directly because it's very hard to find people who are going to get divorced soon, very hard to find people who are going to commit a crime soon, and sometimes it's very hard to find people who are going to list a property or look for a property. It's easier to find evangelists. So, you know, in the case of the realtor, uh, in the case of the real estate attorney, realtors are the great evangelists for them. In the case of the family law attorney, people who are centers of influence in the community, like therapists or members of the clergy or um, CPAs or financial advisors who people go to when they're making dramatic plans to change their life, those would be good evangelists for them. Targeting evangelists will result in referrals, and referrals are the lowest per client acquisition cost. If I pick up the phone and I call Steve Klitzner and I say, hey Steve, I got somebody uh, who's a friend of mine who has an IRS problem, I'm going to connect you with him, and I put the person on the phone, I introduce them, and then they make a subsequent phone call for a consultation, it didn't cost Steve anything to acquire that client. Whereas if Steve advertises and he gets the client through advertising, you have to take the total advertising cost and divide it out by the number of clients and that gives you the per client acquisition cost. Referrals are probably the lowest cost per acquisition because if I met Steve today and I refer him one client a year for 10 years, that's a very low cost per acquisition no matter how he found me and you know he may have just met me on the street and we hit it off. Reverse conversion is possible, but it's a byproduct, not the objective. So in other words, if somebody's an evangelist exclusively and you wanna try and make that evangelist a client, that's possible, but I don't think you should focus on that because that's the byproduct, it's not the objective. So in other words, in the example I gave you, I've paid my taxes every year and I make sure that I do a good job in calculating my taxes. I have a CPA I use and we review the taxes to make sure that we're paying exactly what we're supposed, I'm paying exactly what I'm supposed to be paying. 
If I make a mistake, I'm gonna call Steve and then I will be his client. But it wouldn't pay for Steve to try and make me a client if my taxes are accurate because until I have an IRS event, Steve is not gonna need to work with me. So I don't want you to spend your time trying to make evangelists your clients. Just be happy that they're referring you and get them to keep referring you. Now let's talk about how you convert each of these groups. Suspects become prospects. Prospects become clients. Uh, suspects become prospects when they tell you they want more information or when they reach out to you and they ask you for help or guidance. Prospects become clients when they invest in your services. Clients can convert to deeper lifetime value in three ways, and that's a higher transaction value. So a client works with you for your entry-level services. They decide they need some preventative services from you in addition to what they do with you on a regular basis. So they become higher transaction value clients or they work with you more frequently or they refer you. So you can convert clients in three different ways. Evangelists, you can convert them by getting them to refer you more often. You will hear me say, on a regular basis that if someone refers you one time, they have the opportunity to refer you 10 times. And if someone refers you 10 times, they probably have the opportunity to refer you 20 or 30 times. When you see someone go out of their way to refer you, there are a lot of different ways you can enhance that relationship to increase the frequency. And we'll talk about that down the road. But this conversion chart is something that I want you to always keep in the back of your mind. Suspects become prospects. Many people think that if you speak to a room full of people who look just like your best client, they're gonna run up to the front of the room, checkbook in hand, and write a check for your services. It doesn't work like that. Typically what they'll do is they'll run up to the front of the room, ask you six questions, and then follow up with an email to you that leads to a phone call and that leads to, to them becoming a client. So they become prospects before they become clients. Very, very important. Clients deepen their relationship with you and we often think of only the first transaction when there are dozens if not hundreds of transactions that could happen that we're not focusing on. And then evangelists, if they refer you one time, they will refer you 10 times. All right, how can we weaponize this info? How can we take this info and use it? My advice to you is to create a database. Now, don't be intimidated by the word database. It can be something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet. And that database is used to segment the audience that you're communicating with. So people who are prospects are communicated with in one way. People who are clients are communicated with in a different way. You may even choose to communicate with evangelists, the third group, in a completely different way. Each group has a specific message and the goal is to convert them from the level they're at to the next level. We talk about getting mad all the time and that's ma matching your message to the audience with the right delivery system. We talked a little bit about audience segmentation in our last session. So today, we're going to focus on being really aggressive at making sure we have the right people in our audience. 
When it comes to messaging, your message is focused on conversion and you wanna enter, enter the conversation that's taking place around the kitchen table. So in other words, you wanna to talk to these people the way they think, you wanna use their language, and you wanna target your ideal client or not your typical client or your most recent client. I know a lot of people who sit down with me and I say, how's business? And they say, well, I'm miserable, but I'm making money. And one of the reasons why they're miserable yet making money is because they're targeting people who are not their ideal clients. And they're just taking people who come along. Now that's okay if you're in survival mode. I respect that. You have to do what's necessary to get the revenue in the door in order to survive. But your focus should be to target your ideal client, to get in front of people you suspect are like your ideal client and not your most recent client. The more you can segment your audience, the more you can tailor your message to a specific person in your audience and then round up those people, the more effective it will be. The return on investment from your acquisition efforts is as important as the conversion rate. I work with a lot of people who know a little bit about marketing and they tell me I'm converting 60% of the people that I market to. And I look at them and I'm perplexed and I say, 60%? Now, one of two things is true. Either you're not charging enough because everybody's saying yes, or you're targeting the wrong audience. So, you know, your conversion rate, a good conversion rate, should be probably around 45%, 40%, because 60% of the people are not going to want to pay the fees that you've structured, but your return on investment from that 40% of your audience should way outpace a 65, 70% conversion rate if your fees are too low. I want you to employ leverage. I want you to Think about what you're doing in a one-on-one -on -one setting and determine how you can take that one-on-one -on -one magic that you're creating and do it on a one-to-many level. I also want you to think about the next logical conversion step. I don't want you to ask the suspect to get married on the first date. So if you're speaking to a group of 10 people who, are, who look just like your ideal clients, to ask those 10 people to invest $50,000 in your services right then and there is a big leap. I would prefer that you ask them to invest in a, an entry-level service that was two dollars or $3,000 and then converted them, uh, upgraded them to the next level after that. Or if you're in the type of business where there's a longer sales cycle, if you're a professional with a longer sales cycle, my preference would be for you to provide them with that honeypot, that free report or that free video or that free sequence of educational materials that would help them gain trust in you and then convert them to the next step after that. As far as delivery systems, you need to fit your message delivery system to your target. So if your target audience is senior citizens, you can't send them links to videos online where you know 30 or 40% of them may be hip to online video and they may watch online video. 
senior citizens these days, especially uh, people in the older range, older spectrum of senior citizens, would prefer printed material. So you're going to have to have high quality printed material to send to them. I want you to maximize your leverage. So if you can get in front of 10 people who are your ideal potential clients, it's better than getting in front of one. If you can get in front of 100 people, it's better than getting in front of 10. I want you to maximize automation. If you're looking to do email marketing, use an email marketing system so that you can send email to hundreds of people rather than sending one email at a time. Picking a delivery system is as important as picking your audience and selecting a message or creating a message. You may have heard the hackneyed advertising expression that the media is the message. Well, that's another way of saying you have to match your message, your audience, and your delivery system. So if you're marketing to Generation Z, uh, you're gonna wanna be on social media. Specifically, you're gonna wanna be on Instagram, you're gonna wanna be on TikTok, maybe to a lesser extent on YouTube. If you're marketing to someone who's my age in the 35 to 55 demographic, let's say, you're going to want to use a mix of written communication along with video, and you can be sophisticated in your writing because people in this age category will read things that are interesting to them. This selection of a delivery system is an art in and of itself. We will spend a lot of time talking about it down the road. Today, I wanna to familiarize you with my ideal relationship targeting methodology. I've compiled 21 questions that I use with my clients to help them identify the ideal relationships that they will target for clients and for evangelists. This also helps with message structure and it even provides us with some clues for targeting the right form of media, the right form of delivery system to reach the audience. So let's take a look at these 21 questions. I'll review them with you. I'm gonna share them with you afterward in an email, and then I will entertain questions both in our next session and in the session on Friday. All right, here they are. I'm sorry for such a verbose slide, but I wanted, to, I wanted to get these up there. These are the first 10, whoops, now we're going to the second 10. These are the first 10 questions. So question number one, do most of your clients belong to one industry or tribe? Pretty self-explanatory. If you can figure out that most of your ideal clients are in one industry or tribe, it makes it easier to target them. Who's the most recognizable ambassador for this group? Is there someone that all of these folks look up to? So perhaps someone who has created a company uh, within that industry that stands out above the rest. Why do we wanna know that? Because we want to read what they read, we want to go where they go, and we want to study who they study. We wanna find out why they like this person. We want to find out what this person is doing so that perhaps we can do some of the same things or at minimum, we want to be able to converse about who that person is and what they do.
who are the emerging leaders of this group. Sometimes there are people who are at the pinnacle of their career, and then there are other people who are up and coming, and we want to know who the up and coming folks are so that we can stay connected and we can make sure that we're conversant in who's up and coming in the industry. What is the average transaction size in your ideal client's business or in your ideal evangelist business? Why is average transaction size important? Well, if your ideal client is someone who is a realtor and their average transaction size is a million dollars, they sell multi-million dollar homes, that person is able to invest in your services at a different level than a realtor whose average transaction size is $100,000 because their commissions are simply bigger. Understanding what the average transaction size of your client is is critically important because it gives you a window into your ability to help them. What is this person's average investment with you or someone like you? So how much would this person spend on a lawyer typically? How much would this person spend with their CPA typically? What do these people worry about the most? When it comes to your services, what are they most concerned about? Are they worried about risking their money with a bad provider? Are they worried about being uh, told that your services are not a good representation of them? What is their big concern? What are they angry about? What really makes them beside themselves with anger? What are they frustrated about? And what do they secretly desire? These are things that will help us with our messaging. The emotional elements, what they're worried about, what they're angry about, what they're frustrated about, and what they really want out of life, that will help, that help you craft your message. When I first formed my company and I went out and I marketed to attorneys exclusively, I went to the attorneys and I said, what's, you know, what's, what, if you could have anything you wanted, what would you, what would you do? What, 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 do you, what do you really want? And the attorneys that I met who be, ended up becoming my best clients said, Dave, here's what I want. I wanna make a great living and I wanna spend more time with my family. So I created my entire messaging around that premise that I helped attorneys make a great living and live a great life. And when I found my ideal client, to a person, they said to me, Dave, the part that resonates with me the most is the live a great life part. Because, you know, I bill $280 an hour, $300 an hour, and I could work 70 hours a week and make great money, but I'd have no time to spend it. Or I'd be too exhausted to spend it. Can you help me get to the next level so I can work 40 hours less or 30 hours less and have some time to spend with my family. So understanding what they really wanted was critical. And you will find that the collective group of your best clients has a secret desire. They have some things that frustrate them. They have things that they're angry about in common. They worry about the same things all together. Is there a bias to the way they make decisions? So. Take, for example, people who work with numbers. I found that financial advisors, uh, people who work in the insurance industry, their 
they make decisions emotionally just like the rest of us, but they like to support those decisions with numbers, with statistics. So their bias to the way they make decisions is for you to show them the byproduct of their investment, show them what their investment is going to provide them with in return, and then you are more likely to win them over. Question 11, do they have their own language? I use as an example uh, all the time, I use police officers. If you've ever talked to a police officer, if you have police officers in your family, they will tell you, and you said to them, how long have you been a police officer? Their response most likely will be, well, I've been on the job for 20 years. You know, that phrase, on the job, is how police officers refer to their tenure as a police officer. If you ask them how long they were in uniform, many of them will say, oh, I was in the bag for five years. That uh, colloquialism, that phrase, in the bag, is a universal term for a police officer who's in uniform. Uh, what does John do? Well, he's a sergeant, but he's still in the bag. In other words, he still wears a uniform to work every day. Now, why is knowing language important? Knowing language is important, number one, so you can understand what they're saying. If you were selling to someone in the advertising industry and they said, well, in order to be able to afford your services, I have to sell 15 spots to clients, you wouldn't know what a spot is if you didn't know that, that, that in advertising language, a spot is a commercial, whether it's a radio commercial or a TV commercial. So first, understanding the language is important so that you know what they're talking about. But second, you need to know what words not to use so that you don't appear as if you're trying to placate them. The worst thing you can do if you get pulled over is look at a police officer and go, hey, how long have you been on the job? Or look at them and, and say, hey, you're still in the bag, huh? When are you gonna get promoted? Using their language as an outsider is just as harmful as not knowing what the language is in the first place. Who has tried to sell to them and failed? You need to understand and be able to dissect people who have not been successful at winning your ideal clients over. And you need to be understanding of people who aren't successful both in your industry and outside of your industry. Why? Because people who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. The worst thing that can happen to you is you make the same mistakes other people made. Who's working with them successfully and why? Who's working with your ideal client now? Who's successful and why are they successful? Can you improve upon the things that they're doing? Can you be different? These are important questions. What economic forces impact them? If you're in a bankruptcy practice, right now you're doing well. About five months ago, you were concerned because things weren't going to be favorable for you. The economy has a direct impact on bankruptcy attorneys. What economic forces impact your potential clients? What industry trends impact them? So right now, if you're in the hospitality industry, the trend for virus-free experiences are impacting everyone. If you have the ability or the capability to do takeout or to do food delivery, that industry trend is favorable. So the fact that you can convert your restaurant from dining in only to massive takeout within a 100 mile radius, let's say, versus a 50 mile radius, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, 
that would have an impact on whether or not you could be successful. What do these folks read? You want to read it so that you gain an insight into their mind. You also want to be able to publish in, the, in those publications. Where do they gather? So in other words, in non-coronavirus time, what conventions do they go to? You want to go to those conventions. You potentially want to speak at those conventions. You may want to sponsor some of those meetings. What lists are they on? You've heard me and you've seen me demonstrate campaigns where we target people who are on lists, like professional license lists. You need to know what list these folks are on so that you can target them in mass. And we'll talk, about a, we'll talk about that a lot when we talk about direct mail. Who do they trust? Is there a particular professional that they trust? Are there particular groups of people that they trust? Why is this important? Because we want to befriend those people to gain insight into how our ideal clients think. Is there a person or media outlet they idolize? Is there a media personality they idolize? Why is this important? Well, number one, you want to know so that you can watch this person or listen to this person. Number two, you need to understand why they idolize this person. Is it behavioral? Is it results-based? So that you can potentially model some of that behavior. And then number 21, is there a seasonality to their behavior? Steve Klitzner gains a lot of new clients in March and April because people are thinking about paying their taxes. And his clients, although they haven't paid their taxes, think about paying their taxes when we think about paying our taxes. So what does this mean for you? Well, you need to understand if there's a buying season and if there's a research season for your products or services. All right. So what are some of the next steps you can take as a result of our conversation today? First, segment the people in your natural network. I want you to put on a spreadsheet or in your customer relationship management system, people who are clients, separate them from people who are prospects, who haven't spent any money with you, and separate both of them from evangelists, people who've only referred you and never invested your services invested in your services, pardon me. <clears throat> I want you to go through the IRT21. There is a copy you can download on the community website. Uh, I will also send you this slide deck so you can look at the IRT21 in slide format. And you can run through all of those questions and answer those questions for your ideal client answer those questions for your ideal evangelist. I want you, if you're thinking about doing any emailing or any type of presentation or creating your honeypot, to test your message with individuals who are part of those segments. So for example, you're an attorney and you're, you get a lot of referrals from CPAs and you have a great message for CPAs, Call three of your friends who are a CPA and say, listen, you know, uh, Beth, I want to test this message on you because I'm targeting CPAs for referrals. Here's my message, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? That's a great way to get feedback from people who are in your ideal evangelist community. Or if you have clients, test it on your clients. You'll be amazed at how willing to help clients are. Finally, identify leverage. Identify the opportunity you have to get in front of people who look 
just like your ideal clients on a regular basis. We spent a lot of time talking about networking and figuring out how you can get in front of the right person who could be a client one-on-one. -on -one. Now I'm asking you to figure out how you can get in front of the right person on an individual, I'm sorry, how you can get in front of the right person in mass on a group basis. How can you get in front of a group of people who are just like your ideal clients? How can you get in front of a group of people who are just like your ideal evangelists? All right, that's our presentation on audience identification and targeting. I wanna thank you for joining us today. That'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We're here every day. And if you'd like more information about my Inner Circle Business Development Community, please go to joindavelorenzo.com. That's joindavelorenzo.com. There you'll find an invitation to apply for membership in the business development community. Now, membership only costs $3,550 per year. That investment will go up on the first of the month. So if you'd like to join us, get your application in now. That investment is easily recouped by acquiring just one new client. And we are all confident, every member of the Inner Circle Business Development Community is confident that if you join us, you'll be able to recoup that investment in very short order. So visit joindavelorenzo.com. That's joindavelorenzo.com and fill out your application for membership today. I hope to see you on the inside.